0: What's up? Radio and Dog Ears. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Bost. Lost my mic. Not the first mistake I'm going to make. No, it is the first mistake. Not the last mistake I'm going to make. Anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in or downloading, as it were, uh, Radio and Dog Ears, the podcast. Um, I have operated under the Radio and Dog Ears moniker for Many years, first as a radio show at Pepperdine University, then as a short-lived concert review blog while I was living in Nashville, and then uh, as a radio show again out of my garage in Westchester, California. I am again in my garage in Westchester, California, what I like to refer to as my Mank Ave man and the uh, Mank Ave and but I'm not bringing you a radio show this time. I'm bringing you a podcast, as it is known. And I was reminded the other day, it is known as a podcast because it was popularized on the iPod. But perhaps you'll be listening to this through another device, maybe a Zune uh, or a Rio MP3 player. Anyways, uh, very happy you're all here joining me today uh, or wherever. And whenever you might be listening to this. But, um, yeah, this is a a work in progress, as you've probably been able to tell by now. I want to develop a voice and a unique podcast voice. Um, And I'm just going to let myself fumble around and have a few episodes or more to kind of figure out what that is. And this is the first of those episodes. Um, But it is going to be a music-focused podcast. I enjoy music very much. Um I I think often of a story actually. Um it's not a particularly good story, but I will share it anyways. Where when I was probably in s- junior or senior in high school, my sister Emily bought me a beautiful South CD and um I was unfamiliar with them as as was she. But one of her college classmates who was music obsessed, like I was, uh, suggested she give it to me. And then I happened to meet that guy at some point, and I expected to meet a kindred spirit. And I remember very vividly, he told me that as I got older and more jaded, he he had become jaded at the old age age of 21, which is absurd in retrospect. But um, as I became older and more jaded and more consumed with life and all of its essentials and quotidian tasks that I would lose my love and luster for music. And I always kind of waited for that to happen. But it never did. I'm in a sense more obsessed with music than ever before, um, which sometimes I find depressing. <laughs> but usually I am more just So happy to love something, and I love many things. I love my family, of course, and I love church, and I'm a religious person. I love the triune God. Um, but I I really do love music, and it brings me a lot of joy. And during this time, this difficult time uh, that we're all in right now, um, I'm thinking about music a lot, and probably because it's a safe place, probably because I'm trying to think about things other than uh, a lot of the other stressful things that are on our minds right now. So this is a good time to launch a podcast and to think about music out loud, not just internally and not just occasionally on Twitter. So I hope you might join me on this journey Uh, There are a lot of music podcasts in the world, and um, the angle I want to take for this first one may lead you to believe that the focus for this podcast is going to be more music theory and songwriting, and I'm not particularly qualified to opine on music theory, although I did take AP Music Theory in high school. I got a five on the exam, thank you for asking. Um, but I don't remember a lot of my music theory and I'm not a particularly prolific songwriter. I've maybe finished, I don't know, less than 10 songs in my life. Well, maybe, I don't know if that's true or not, but, but not many and very few are good. Some are incredible. Some are just absolute smashes, but most are not that great. But I did want to talk a little bit about something that's been on my mind recently. So without further ado, we're going to launch into the content portion of our podcast. And I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite things in pop music, which is the key change in the chorus of a song. And to take us there, I'm going to hand it over to Cheryl Crow. <laughs> So that was My Favorite Mistake by Cheryl Crow. That's off the Globe Sessions. By the way, I will be uh, uploading to Spotify a playlist of all the songs for each episode. So you can look at my Spotify account, Soapy the Dog, and find a Radio and Dog Years playlist to accompany this episode. But anyways, I heard this song recently um, and remembered how much I like it. I shouldn't say remembered. I, I don't really have much recollection of the song. I didn't know it but I didn't really have strong feelings for it one way or the other. And then when I heard it recently, I just it just really, really hit me. Um, and um, one reason is the fact that it begins in a minor key, in B minor, and then at the chorus, it changes key to the relative major, D major. Um, and that's not uncommon in pop music for songs to sort of vacillate between the relative minor and uh, the relative major. Um, for example, you see here that right at the beginning of Buddy Holly by Weezer. What's with
1: mom? my girl?
0: So there you hear it, you know, right at the beginning of the song. And the thing about my favorite mistake is that it just does that over a much longer period of time. It does it very pronouncedly, does it in a very pronounced way at the chorus. So that it sounds like a key change. I don't even know if it constitutes a key change. But the songs I want to talk about. Again, this is just the intro, this is just what gave me the idea, is songs that have a legitimate key change in the chorus. which you don't hear that often. In fact, I was kind of racking my brain, because a few songs came to mind, and then when I googled key changes in pop songs, I mean, admittedly, I didn't do the most robust Google search, but when I googled it, basically all that came up is what you think of when you hear a key change, which is sort of the at the end of a song going up a half step or a whole step, to sort of really, you know, drive home the point, you know, after the big drum hit and and I will always love you, when the Houston goes up half a step, you know, church songs. You really want to drive home the point, you know, you go up half a step, and that's not what I'm talking about. And that that's what's mainly written about when you Google key changes. Okay, let's just forget about the Google thing. I'm sorry I even brought it up. Anyways, um, the first song I want to talk about is Don't Worry Baby by the Beach Boys. Um, this song was written in early 1964 by Brian Wilson. Uh, he did not write all the lyrics, but the music is what I care about in this instance. And we'll listen to a portion of it in a moment. But uh, it's, it's, I should note, aside from just briefly noting, as an aside, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. From a period of the Beach Boys that I think is, in a sense, sort of like, it's not like, of course, it's critically acclaimed. Like, everyone loves early Beach Boys, but there's so much ink spilled about Pet Sounds and Smile, and then, you know, among, like, the hipper groups, you know, later period Beach Boys albums that are all really great, that you forget that their early pop stuff, in my opinion, is better than the Beatles' early pop stuff, that they're just perfect, perfect songs. Um. So don't worry, baby's a perfect song. It's one of my favorite songs ever, and it was written by Brian Wilson as a um, as sort of his attempt at doing a, a song as timeless as "Be My Baby" by Phil Spector, and popularized by the Ronettes. And if you look on Spotify, you can hear a version of Ronnie Spector covering "Don't Worry, Baby," and it sounds it sounds like it was written for her. But um, okay, let's listen to uh, "Don't Worry, Baby." and listen for the key change at the chorus. It is there and it makes the song. That's the mono recording of Don't Worry Baby. There's a stereo recording as well. I like the mono one more. Um, But So Don't Worry Baby starts out in E. And the chorus, it shifts up to F sharp. And Brian Wilson does this really ingenious thing where right before the chorus begins, he goes to C sharp, which is the fifth of F sharp. So um sets you up into the new key, and then he gets out of F-sharp back into E by going to B, which is, again, the fifth of E of the dominant. Um, the, I'm, I'm kind of struggling even trying to articulate the music theory, which is probably a good indicator that this should not be a theme for future episodes. But really, the idea, though, that you he's bringing out the chorus by changing keys altogether, And unlike the Cheryl Crow song, this is not just simply going to a relative major and it's going from another major key to another major key or going from one major key to another major key, um, which is unusual. And it really makes the chorus shine and stand out. And then when the chorus is done, he goes back to the original key. Uh, I should, I guess say they go back. The band goes back. But um, the the Beach Boys did this in another song around the same time. It was on the album after the album that had Don't Worry Baby. Uh, That album was shut down, Volume 2. On their next album, um, the name of which I'm forgetting right now. Um, Anyways, their next album, Brian Wilson uh, released... The Girls on the Beach. Now, the the albums were basically recorded concurrently, so I don't know which was recorded first, Don't Worry Baby or um, The Girls on the Beach. And I don't know, I I should do some more research on this. Probably I should have already done this research if Brian Wilson coupled these songs uh, in light of their structural similarity. But um, The Girls on the Beach on the next album also has a key change at the chorus. So let's listen to that right now. Girls on the Beach off of uh, Endless Summer. That's the name of the album. So the song begins in E flat, and then during the chorus it shifts up, not a full step like it does in Don't Worry Baby, but just a half step chromatically to E major, and really, again, brightens up the chorus in a way that's unusual. And then, listen right now, the song actually goes up another half step during the verse, the third verse of the song. So when it goes up a half step in that third verse and then up another half step in the chorus, it's actually going up an entire step. So it's, it's sort of saccharine, especially that mid-verse key change in the third verse. But it's still effective. I mean, it's a really sentimental song to begin with. And just, again, changing keys at the chorus really brightens the song. So the next song I want to listen to is another one of the big dogs. You've got your big dogs in music. Hubu Stink, Linkin Park, The Beatles. And so we're going to talk about The Beatles next. Um, The song that comes to mind with key change in the chorus, and there probably are other Beatles songs that have a key change in the chorus um, that is something other than just going to the relative minor or relative major Um, but uh, the one that comes to mind where it's an entirely different key is Penny Lane off of the Magical Mystery excuse me, Magical Mystery Tour album
1: Penny Lane
0: So that's Penny Lane off of the Magical Mystery Tour, um, thought of as primarily a Paul McCartney song. Um, so unlike the Beach Boys songs where Brian Wilson uh, moved the key up a step and half step, and Don't Worry Baby and Girls on the Beach, respectively, Paul McCartney actually uh, uh, brings the step uh, brings the song a step down, a full step down during the chorus. But he, he gets there in a similar way to Brian Wilson in Don't Worry Baby. Whereas he sets up the chorus by going to the five of the key he's shifting into. And then he gets out of the chorus by going to the five of the key he's about to shift into again. Um, so, yeah, that's Penny Lane. And another shining example of a song that gets a really distinctive character because. It changes keys in the chorus. You know, it's funny about these songs is that the songwriters do it so perfectly that you may not even notice that it changes keys until you try to play the song guitar or piano and realize that, or you may sing the song of karaoke and realize that the song's actually a little bit harder to sing than it might have originally seemed. Um, You can also sort of experiment with these songs and... Sing the choruses in the same keys as the verses, and they're not, they just don't work or don't work nearly as well. So, the last song I want to talk about today is a song uh, three decades after Penny Lane, almost three decades exactly, where again, this artist made a really effective use of changing keys to begin the chorus of her song. And you know this song, you may not love it, uh, but I, I certainly do, and um, perhaps listening to the song um, with these new eyes will make you appreciate it in a way that maybe you hadn't before. Here we go.
1: Let's go girls. like a woman
0: okay you know it maybe you don't love it i do i genuinely do that's man i feel like a woman uh, by shania twain off the record come on over i just look that was the eighth single off the record there were 12 singles from 1997 to 2000 uh it was a huge hit um And it was co-written, as you might have guessed, with Robert John Mutt-Lang, who at the time was Shania Twain's husband. Uh, Mutt-Lang, of course, had kind of made his bones recording uh, for ACDC or producing ACDC and famously, probably most famously, before Shania Twain, uh, Def Leppard on the uh, Pyromania Records record and maybe a few others. I can't remember right now, but sort of notorious for being incredibly laborious in the studio and, you know, multi-tracking everything. Uh, Anyways, I mean, the Shania Twain's album sounds just like that as well. I mean, everything is in its right place and it's hilariously sort of perfect. Um, But this song is uh, just impressive, no pun intended, from a uh, compositional perspective as well. That's an annoying way to put that. It just, I like the way it's composed. I like the fact that there's a key change in the chorus. That's the whole point. Um, So this song starts out in A, and then this song is different than the other songs, whereas all the other songs either went up or down a half or whole step. This song actually, it starts in A, and then the chorus is in E. So it actually changes keys to the five of, uh, uh, of the main key in the chorus. Um, and, and so the chorus has a really pronounced different feel and different sound. And, um, and, I th- and I think that is one of the key ingredients of the song that just makes the chorus sound just so ecstatic and and, uh, and exciting. As you can tell from the sound of my voice, I mean, I am very excited and ecstatic even talking about it. I can barely contain myself. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. So these are the songs that really came to mind and were front of mind when I thought about this concept of songs that change keys uh, during their choruses and do so effectively. So I'd love to hear from you. Do you have songs that you like that change keys during the chorus? Write me. Tell me about it. Um, You can reach me at SoapyTheDog at gmail.com. I'm also at Twitter at SoapyTheDog. Although I do have a private account. Because I'm an attorney and I get really nervous about a client or a foe seeing my really incredibly stupid at times uh, Twitter feed. But um, drop me a line there or talk to me in person. Because if you're listening to this, you're most likely a friend of mine. But I'd love to hear uh, other uh, songs or hear hear your mentions of other songs that use this device. So yeah, that's it. I'm not going to edit this too much because I don't want to get too precious about this and never send this out into the world. So this is the first podcast episode of Radio and Dog Ears. I'm confident there will be more to come. Um, unlikely that the next one or the next few will have the same angle as this one. But uh, this weirdly was something that was front of mine, and something that I was excited to kind of dig into and talk about. And maybe, just maybe, it piqued your interest. Uh, but I will be back with some thoughts on other things. Until then...